Hello, hello, everyone. Morgan here, and you are listening to the Rogue Preparedness Podcast. It has been a while, and I have got to apologize because um, so many people reach out to me, and they're just like, you know, oh, when are you bringing new episodes of the podcast back? And I just feel so bad because I always neglect it. And one of the reasons I neglect it is because I get really sick and tired of hearing my voice, just me talking to me. And so um, I'm going to be trying my best to bring in new guests um, as often as I can, you know, um, bouncing off of each other. A discussion I think is going to be way more entertaining for you guys. We might have the occasional single just me talking, but uh, be, be looking out for uh, lots of guests in the future. And speaking of guests, we actually have a guest today, which I'm super excited about. Uh, let's see. This is Nat from The Preparedness Guy. Hello, everybody. Well, I'm I'm really excited to have you here. Um, I don't know how long we've been following each other, but it's been a while. I feel yeah. like. Yeah, I mean, I followed you on YouTube for a long time, and then um, I started doing a little bit of stuff on YouTube. I was on Instagram for a while, and then we started following each other at some point on Instagram too. Yeah. Yeah. You are. Um, really active on Instagram. Are you, you know what? My feed has not been showing people very well. So are you still doing a reel a day? I'm not doing a reel a day anymore. I'm doing them when I have good ideas. Um, I did it for over a year, probably like 13 months, every wow. single day. Um, did not miss a day. Sometimes I did more than one cause I had a, had a, you know, whimsy to do another one uh-huh. and it was fun. I had a lot of fun with that, but, um, I, I'm trying to, it's, I'm, yeah, I'm trying not to be a perfectionist, um, uh, but you know, like try to get per, like perfection, but I, I want it to be more valuable. So I'm not, I don't have the mentality like, well, if I'm not going to make it valuable, I'm not going to post anything. I'm just trying to, to use my energy towards making the posts more valuable. I want them to still be entertaining and fun. And occasionally I run across a, an audio. I'm like, okay, I've got to use that one, but right. um, I, I haven't been doing them every day and I've been just working on, uh, you know, some, some other posts, but definitely not as active as I was, but. Okay. I guess, I guess then I feel a little bit better because (laughs) I, I, what I, I missed it. You know, honestly, I was like, you know, I, I swear he was doing it once a day and I, you know, I liked seeing it and, and, um, I think you were just so consistent at it for so long. It's just like ingrained in us now that we see it. But uh, I, I really liked your reels. They're, they're real good. Obviously they're all still there. So if you guys go check them out on Instagram, um, really funny and to the yeah, point you know of of preparedness yeah i tried i try to always make them relevant and um, sometimes poke fun at some of the aspects of uh, preparedness or um you know the preparedness adjacent topics right uh, but I, I really tried hard not to be too insulting to any people <laughs> or, or groups of people uh, so hopefully they were still entertaining and and well, if we, can't, well accepted. if we can't laugh at ourselves, then what are we even doing here? Like, right. Yeah, I, I try really hard to not take all of this too serious. Like, I know it's important. I know it's serious, but I try hard not to take myself too seriously when I'm doing this. Totally. Uh, yeah. um, so let, let's just learn a little bit about you and how did you get started? Um, tell us, uh, you know, you're, you're the preparedness guy. Why did you choose that name? Tell us all about you. Where were you born? (laughs) (laughs) I was born in the great land of Idaho, potato country. Oh, yeah. Is that why you talk about potatoes so much? (laughs) Yeah. 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 So uh, 
I, uh, I don't have like a personal Instagram. Um, so, you know, I follow like the big Idaho potato on, um, on, on my, the preparedness guy page and they came pretty close to our town. So we drove like 45 minutes or so to meet them. Um, because we're not living in, in Idaho anymore, but they, this big Idaho potato, it's like this promotional semi truck with this huge potato on the back. And anyway, we went to go see them. Anyway, so I follow them and some other potato pages and people in Idaho that I know. And, and I just, I, I do love potatoes. Uh, I want to make a video of the, uh, you know, Forrest Gump, the movie yeah when they're in basic training right. and and they're doing like well there's a uh, shrimp scampi and it's like going through all the different types of shrimp as they're going about their soldier tasks i want to do something like that with video with a, a video of that with potatoes i i've been waiting for it to be quite honest <laughs> i i think you like um I think you may have hinted at something like that in one in one of your yeah. stories or something like that, and it, I was like, "Where's the video?" <laughs> it is a, a lot harder to to plan a, a video like that and pull it off. Like I've been, I'm I'm a few weeks late on doing the part two of the uh, the choose your character reel. Oh, just finding like a, a section of when I was doing a reel a day, I was taking no more than ten minutes a day. Right. on on making reels like i would i would have some audios saved or i'd find one while i was scrolling and i could just i could just make a video real quick i'd make them really simple i didn't do a lot of editing or anything but these ones that uh, are you know take more effort or um uh, have more production value i guess right just take, so i have to set aside like a whole afternoon especially if i have to like change a change costumes or something and it just doesn't happen i have a handful of of kids and all the stuff going on at home that I like better than Instagram. So, what? so obviously, oh, yeah, I don't sorry. believe it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I remember that audio, and I really wanted to do it. But like you were just explaining it, and I started thinking, I'm like, man, I'm gonna have to change clothes, and like, <laughs> I, well, I, I would get like real obsessed about it too. I'd be like, I gotta go buy this from like the party store because I need this certain thing, and like. <laughs> I'd get like real crazy about it. Yeah, so. I mean, I've like I've I've got a tinfoil hat right here in my hands because that's that's a, a prop for that video, and I just I've gathered up so much of the stuff ready to do it, and I just don't don't have the time set aside. And, right. Yeah, you can't like do half of it because like the, the camera has to be in the exact same location because of the transitions. Right. <laughs> yeah. One well, day I'll get around to it. <laughs> well, the first one was hilarious, so everybody should go watch that. Um, that is another reel on his Instagram. And um, but yeah, looking forward to number two. So you mentioned though that you have a handful of kids. Is it literally five children? Uh no. Oh. No. Um six? Almost. Seven? Stop me when I get there. <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll have six kids next year. Oh. Yep. Wait, so how many do you have now? Four. Oh my gosh, are you having twins? Yes. <gasps> Congratulations. Yeah, how did I'll, I not know this? I'll put that out to the world. Well, I, I don't talk about them a whole lot on um, any platform, really. Um, yeah, we don't. I don't put pictures of their faces or anything out there, but yeah. Uh, yeah, just it's hard to. I, a whole lot of my message, too, is like doing the stuff with your family. So it's hard to. Like talk about fire drills and involve your children with your fire drills, and then people are like, "Does he even have kids?" Right. <laughs> um, yes, I I do. I have uh, many kids. That's yeah. so exciting. Um, I always thought I wanted twins. Like technically, in my family, I'm like next in line to have twins or whatever. 
And I always thought I wanted them until I started watching like reels and videos of people who had twins. And I'm like, nah, I'm good. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're really excited. It was um, unexpected, but definitely a little miracle where That's we don't know if they're boys or girls or one of each or what. So oh, we'll find, surprise. Yeah. 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 We'll find out, uh, you know, in a month or so, I think, but. Oh, how exciting. I'm really excited for you guys. How old are your other kids? Um, 10 and younger. Okay. Yeah. Nice. That's a good space. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, were you a prepper before kids? Um, kind of, yeah. So I was a, I was a Boy Scout. Uh, you know, growing up in Idaho, a lot of the stuff like shooting is part of the culture a lot of people have food storage um it's kind of a i mean it's still got some of the stigma and whatever attached to it but you know definitely camping all of the prepper adjacent topics um are just kind of part of the culture there so i was definitely into a lot of that and then um i was a, a medic in the army so i learned some of the like you know, real, real skills, um, that I could use in emergencies. And that kind of just kickstarted everything, uh, to where I just wanted to learn more and do more and started you know, collecting more supplies and gear and everything else. And, uh, yeah, just kids came along, figured out that we'd have to be responsible for them too, which <laughs> was, uh, was a whole different story. We'd um, I, di- I dive deep into the uh, the prepper underworld online, the forums and all of that stuff. And um, there were a lot of good people, interesting topics, but a lot of it was just keyboard warriors. I was like, nah, there's got to be something else. So over the years, I kind of tried a few different things and retried them. And right now, I think it's like the golden era of online prepper community. Um, there's... It's, I don't know, it's more open, welcoming, relatable, approachable than it ever has been. It's not so much about doomsday and doom and gloom. It's, uh, it's transitioned to practical preparedness, needs-based, positive, uh, instead, of, instead of the whole, if anyone comes to my house in any disaster, I'm going to, you know, if, with the, if they come in within 50 yards of my house, I'm shooting them kind of thing. Like I've had people tell me that on those, yeah. on those forums. I'm like, mm, nah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So I've, I've like dived deep into there, but yeah, done a lot of that sort of stuff online and done some prepper stuff in person uh, with, you know, with other people. But I think right now is the golden, the golden age yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I was just nodding along this whole time. And it's it's really funny that you say that. Like, I was um, on another podcast with somebody else. And I was saying almost the identical thing. I was like, 10 years ago? Like, even just 10 years ago, like, it was not like this. Mm-mm. Like, you just did not see this many great channels and people coming forward. And you just didn't see it. And um, I, and I'm, I am here for it. I am... L- loving it if you hear me screaming that's my kids in the background so um um so yeah i love it you know like there weren't as many books there weren't as many um you know i think that the whole attitude now like you said is is changing it's not 
you know, you go into the forums and it's the people running into the woods anymore, which is what you and me like experienced when we first started, right. you know, and, and it, it's, yeah, that was frustrating. And I, and I really fell for it in the beginning too. You know, I was like that person, like, yeah, that's it. And then like, as you yeah, it's like you, you trust these people that they've done their research and that this stuff makes sense. And then you just start to realize you start to, I, my, my job professionally is as an emergency manager. So I, I'm like kind of a professional prepper, but, um, <laughs> kind Dang, of. that's taking it to a whole nother level. Like yeah. That's... <laughs> but you know, a big part of my job is to like validate plans, um, through training and exercises. Um, like if you make a plan that you're going to do something, you have to make sure it meets, it meets the actual needs of the, the hazards you face and that, um, when you do this plan, you go through these training exercises. If something doesn't work, then you either go back and you change your plan or you, uh, do different training. And I started looking at the, all of the stuff that, you know, the bugging out and whatever. And, um, John Lovell, he had the warrior poet society. He made a video a couple of years ago, which, uh, it's kind of funny watching his, um, his progression. He definitely has his own, you know, his own niche with, um, you know, former army ranger stuff, but he made a video, uh, I think a couple of years ago that, um, that he was ditching the bug out bag. And man, that really got people's heads spinning. Uh, but he's basically saying like in almost every emergency or disaster, you're just to stay home and you'll want to stay home because that's where all your stuff is. That's where your people are. And um, he had made a he made a, a reel or a YouTube video or something where where it's like a disaster strikes and he gets his bug out bag and he's leaving and his wife's like, oh, where's mine? And he's like, uh, oops. <laughs> But uh, that just like it demonstrated the validating these plans. He's his his progression was you know, he had he had a wife and kids and he realized that that whole bug out culture that we were that we were raised on was um, kind of bogus. You should be ready to evacuate, but heading for the hills isn't isn't a plan. And yeah, I, I, I think we've talked on Instagram before. Like I am terrible at foraging too, but everyone thinks oh, I'll go, I'll live off the land. I'll uh, I'll forage. I'll I'll hunt and trap. And it's like, yeah, you like, that's going to be a, the, even if that's the plan of, of like a hundred people in your area, mm. you're just going to, just going to wipe the land clean if you're successful or you're just going to scare everything away. But well, uh, yeah. even if you're not competing with other people in general, it's just very difficult. I don't know if right. you've ever seen um, a show alone. Yeah. I mean, yeah. These people are struggling. Like and it's they're, just they're really good at it too. Like yeah. these people know what they're doing. Yeah. So that, that, and they're in the middle of wilderness, you know, which in areas that are, that are, you know, have plenty of wildlife and all these things, but they're struggling. And, and um, so, yeah, that, that should give really big perspective on uh, that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you think about it, it's, I mean, I have deer wander through my yard every once in a while, but that's just a handful of deer in this whole area, really. And if somebody, takes them out or if you know if they can if you can even get them then then they're gone you know (laughs) it's not even going to feed our whole neighborhood right and you know it's happened before in the past too um where you know i mean bison or buffalo 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 were basically almost wiped off the face of the earth because of uh overhunting and um this has happened with many, many different types of animals. And so, you know, black bear um, didn't even exist in Texas for decades because they were hunted uh, to almost extinction and, you know, in Texas, and they're finally coming back here. 
but you know, it's very protected. You can't hunt them here that kind of thing. And so, um, but you know, I, I, I still believe in hunting and fishing, but, mm-hmm. but I don't believe it as like, a a full source. Like I, I believe in raising your own animals or going to a local farm, you know, uh, trading with a local farm that has these animals. I believe in, you know, growing your garden and I do still believe in foraging, but foraging is not everything. Right. Foraging is a supplementation. You know what I mean? Yeah. You can only eat so many dandelions. Right. You know, and dandelions are fantastic, but it's not your whole nutritional needs, you know? Yeah. Um, you can't eat that forever. And so, you know, um, and, and it's yeah. also very seasonal, like right. especially up north. Yeah. 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 Like right now there's nothing out there. Right. Yeah. And, and what there are, I leave for the birds. Like there's, um, I forgot what the, uh, I forgot what it was, but there was like this one type of berry that continued to maybe not flourish, but just stayed there on the bushes. And it was for the birds. We mm. left them for the birds, you know, nice. yeah. that's, that's basically their source. If they don't have it, well, they don't survive either. So right. yeah, it's like a whole, it's a whole ecosystem too, that we have to keep in mind. Yeah. We, uh, we tried growing our own, um, raspberries and blackberries last year and we ended up they ended up just being grown for the squirrels and birds because we, right. <laughs> we didn't get to them uh, yeah good. you got to protect that stuff yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah animals are probably the worst offenders i'm not even worried about people like yeah. animals are gonna take it all yeah and um yeah really like we've also we've been through enough uh, um we've been through enough real world emergencies and disasters to realize that that focusing on doomsday the way people have is is also not you know like we we know there's a chance of everything like we we live in such a fragile vulnerable system but in the meantime there are just so many different things so so the the idea that all your preps have to revolve around a cataclysmic end of the world event uh, you know we we don't most people don't take that approach anymore they just think hey bad things happen sometimes i have needs i'm gonna make sure i meet those needs and mm-hmm. so it's like all the rest of that really does like your know, foraging and growing food and all that. It's all just a supplement to meet your needs because you need to eat. Um, but it's not based on the scenario or the disaster. It's based on the need of eating. Right. Exactly. And we've definitely seen that shift away from like the glorification of the apocalypse and the stuff, you know, um, you know, it's been because of movies and TV and books and all these things that we glorify and we continue to glorify it. And, uh, you know, it's fun in fiction. Right. You know, it is like, it's fun to watch. I love apocalyptic movies, but then, you know, you just have to think like, um, what, at, at what point would our society actually get there, you know, get to that point? Um, you know, we've been through nuclear war before, maybe not with everybody had nukes, but, you know, we've been through that type of scenario. And um... yeah, and, and like, really, if you think about it, like SHTF, whatever happens all the time, historically, it's usually local and temporary, but it happens a lot. And we like, I've been working on this idea for a um for a for my next podcast and it's the higher we climb the harder we fall and um I'm talking about some different different concepts but i'm also basing it on on some books you know we talk about i'm going to talk about what you one second after which yeah. you know it's a lot of people 
like that's probably the most prolific prepper novel. Don't even um, get me started on that. <laughs> po- positive or negative, because I'm ready to talk. <laughs> <laughs> um, mostly negative because yeah. of just so many things, but <laughs> <laughs> it's it's full of every single prepper trope. Yes. Right? Yeah. Um, and, and people yeah. look at it as if it's the prepping Bible, and I'm like, why? Why? Right. Why? Like, <laughs> Well, and, and it's like the deus ex machina on everything. Like, oh, we just happened to find all these books. Yeah. We just happened to have all of these tools and people who knew how to use, do this and right. uh, et cetera, et cetera. And it's funny how pre- prepper fiction still will, it's like, it's a, it's a book about a cataclysmic event and they'll still mock people who were prepared. Like they still talked about the old survivalists um, <laughs> who were, you know, upset that y, Y2K didn't, you know, didn't happen. And it's like, but you're writing a book about about this end of the world scenario, um, right. yeah. Um, so, the, so one second after is basically a remake, a modern remake of the book *Alas Babylon*, which mm-hmm. was published in 1959, which I think is is a great book. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of like the original *Red Dawn* to the remake in a lot of ways. Um, how those two went, uh, the the author of one second after. I wanted to make a, a more modern, use a more modern threat, which was an EMP, and um, in a more modern time. So it got people thinking, at least, which was a positive thing. Um, but then, so you've got One Second After, A Last Babylon, and then you go even further back, and you've got books like Swiss Family Robinson or Robinson Crusoe. Mm-hmm. Um, and both of those are pretty similar uh, as far as uh, the era they were they were set in. So I'm going to talk about those. And essentially, the, the higher the higher we climb, the harder we fall. The more the more dependent we get on on technology. It's not that we. It's not just that we lose the skills; we lose the entire infrastructure. Um, so when the EMP goes off in one second after, you've got um, yeah, they basically don't have anything. They just happen to have some the 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 cars that work, that old Edsel and. Um, you happen to have the Revolutionary War LARPing club that you know had skills and could do whatever you know whatever. So, right. um, but you go back to Alas Babylon and you that was a transitionary period. There were still people doing actual manual machine labor or manual labor. They had a donkey that was used for farming, and um, so it's 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 like this transition period where. Anything after that becomes more industrialized and automated, and things before that were were manual. And you go, so you go back further to the like, the like Robinson Crusoe, and everything he has to do everything on his own. He doesn't have um, doesn't have any. Well, he does have all the resources from his ship, which was was similar to uh, Swiss Family Robinson. So they've get, got the, right. the 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 shipwreck, but luckily they get to salvage a bunch of stuff. Right. And um, the fact that they're they're skilled and can do things by hand and there's still a learning curve even back then that they had to do when uh when they were still doing everything by hand but um in one in alas babylon you've got this transition where this nuclear war happens and they've still got to figure out a lot of stuff and they they slowly start to lose their modern conveniences um you know of course the power goes out they keep charging their batteries for the um, for the ham radio with with a, a car, but then they run out of fuel, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, the amount of stuff they can do 
with with the skills that they have is is really significant compared to what we could do now so my my theory isn't just that it's it's when you climb higher when we get more more dependent you you don't just fall back to the equivalent amount of time it's it's exponential uh, because at that time in 1959 if they lose all modern technology they went back you know i think they said like in the book like 50 years or something mm-hmm. and um but we wouldn't go back 50 years now we'd go back like a thousand years yeah it, like we we wouldn't i mean maybe more than that we wouldn't go back from from cars and airplanes to horses and wagons because we don't have horses and wagons no nobody knows how to build a wagon we don't have wheel rights i mean there's a handful of people out there we don't have enough of enough horses for people like we would go back to walking that's what we would have and um so it's the higher we the higher we climb the, the the harder we fall and um so we we are definitely more vulnerable we have all these, these amazing things. The technology that we have is, is just incredible. We can do yeah. so much with it. It's easier now to store food than ever mm-hmm. um, with, with Wallaby Goods. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, no, seriously, though, like, like, like it's just right there, everything you need. And you can go to the store and buy food from all over the world and mm-hmm. package it up and put it on your shelf and set yourself up. Uh, with all of the your modern conveniences for a, a good amount of time, so no matter what happens, you have those needs met. We have um, uh, solar technology that can run your battery banks or uh, a pump or whatever else. So lots of lots of awesome awesome things, and um, so it's it's easier now to mm-hmm. to do those things. But also, if it's disrupted, like we're losing all of those things as well. So right. now, like now, like do the work because it's easier than ever. But also recognize that that you're vulnerable and and learn valuable skills too. It, you know, you're you're saying it's the golden age of prepping, but also it's also the golden age of technology. Yeah. And we have just in the past, I think I've said this so many times, but just in the past, you know, hundred years, I mean, we've lost everything that we had before technology all the skills and the Mm -hmm. knowledge and all this stuff, it is, I mean, it is gone and not gone, gone, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah, practically. Yeah. Right. Even people in rural areas. And I know this because I've lived rural uh, a couple times Yeah, and um, in a couple different places, even they are not like they're living rural, but they're not living like they're not even doing a lot of the, like rural skills, you know, and things like that. Mm-hmm. It's actually more rare than we think, even people living rural. So it's not just that, you know, oh, everybody's living in the city and nobody, you know, knows this because of technology and the city and everything. It's just everybody. Yeah. Everywhere. Right. And, and, and we become a more, um, in, in those respects, a more homogenous people than, than ever. Like uh, technology in rural areas is just about as good as anywhere else so yeah we're saw we're all we're all connected now yeah so i love this technology and i love you know like you said going to the grocery store <sighs> hello like yeah. the best thing ever oh I'm yeah. let me go to the grocery store like <laughs> you know um it's amazing but um you know it's also very very apparent how finite things are and it, it just kind of drives me personally 
to, to realize that I do need to grow my own um, food sources, you know, I try to have a community of people that know things that I don't and, yeah. you know, have the resources and, and, and tools and, and skills and people that I, we can rely on. Um, and I think, I think that can be done almost anywhere. Even if you live in the city, there's lots of things you can do, even if it's finding your local, uh, local farms, which for me is like 20 or 30 minutes away. It's not terrible. I can get right. on a bike and go do that if I needed to. It wouldn't be great, but <laughs> do it. Yeah, yeah, it's like, nah, maybe not. <laughs> I, I actually um, I actually know somebody who has an e-bike, and that's all he has. He, he bikes around 20, 30 miles every day on his e-bike, and uh, he doesn't have a car or anything. So I think people have to be very dedicated to um live without modern things you know yeah 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 um yeah definitely and yeah it's just focusing on the needs because even even though i mean like like we said before like we're probably more vulnerable than you know, than we ever have been we've got the power grid failures the economy on the brink of collapse political tensions around the world it's like still like those are all kind of distractions because ultimately every single hazard out there impacts us by Im- impacting our needs. So it's yeah. going to, it's going to affect your, um, your food, your water, your power, your transportation, et cetera, et cetera. No matter what it is, it's going to narrow down to, to your basic needs. So if you just focus on those then the hazard doesn't even matter as much. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I, I I basically say the exact same thing, you know, like when we talk about like how to be prepared for a tornado, how be how to be prepared for a hurricane, blah blah blah. I just it's always the same stuff. Yeah. You know, I think I think the maybe some slight changes might be like wildfire, you know, is the fire close to your home? Right. Do you need to evacuate, that kind of thing. These are really things, you know, like you were saying before in the beginning of the podcast of planning, you know, planning, planning, planning. Nobody wants to plan. And not not that they just don't want to, but they don't know. You yeah. Know? Well, and, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, been you... lost, I feel like. It's just like, like, I feel like preppers just haven't even talked about it. Like you, you were saying, they've talked about the bug out bag and they've talked about this, but then they're like, well, now what, you know, where would I go? That's, right. that, that's the biggest one. Well, where would I go? Well, you, I don't know. You got to plan. You have to plan. Yeah. One of my uh, recurring jokes on the, you know, on the reels was basically that people are like, well, I'm prepared for the zombie apocalypse. So I'm prepared for anything. And then the power goes out. <laughs> they don't know right. what to do. Um, yeah. So it all starts with understanding your hazards. And, and again, as a, a professional emergency manager, that's where it starts. Like you look at your area and say, okay, what hazards are present here? How likely are they? Are they what's going to be the impact if they happen? And then you work from that. Uh, you need you need to know your immediate response. Like you said, with a wildfire, like if you're going to evacuate, that's an immediate response because your life is in danger. Um, you can mitigate against a specific hazard Again, with a wildfire, making sure you've cleared your property of extra debris and brush, uh, that's, a, that's specific to the hazard. Um, and then your response is specific to the hazard. But most of your preparedness is going to be based on your needs. So you, you, start your, you start your planning based on the hazards that are most likely. Figure out how they're going to impact you. You figure out, hey, can I mitigate against these wildfires that happen around here pretty often? Um, if tornadoes are happening, can I 
have a tornado shelter, uh, whatever it is. So you just look at the things and then figure out, is there something I can do to prevent this or make it less likely to impact me? And then what would I do if it does happen? What are my immediate actions? And that's evacuation or uh, go into your shelter area, whatever it is. Uh, those are all based on, on the specific hazards. And then overall preparedness is focused on your needs. Identify your needs and build those out. I think you touched on something that is also really talked about in addition to just having overall plans. And I mean, what you just laid out, really simple. Like it doesn't have to be super complicated. I mean, that's it. And, you know, of course you have to lay out the plans and all that and think about it. But I mean, prevention, you talked about prevention. I think um, that is also a key element that is lost in a lot of things. Like we have first aid kits, great. But are we doing things to prevent cutting ourselves or, you know, not walking on slippery ice or, you know, these things like how are we preventing getting hurt? How are we preventing fires, you know, like in our home, you know, like grease Mm -hmm. fires and things like that. Like how are we preventing these things? Of course, of course things happen. Right. And we understand that we can't prevent everything, but we could do our best. And then when the prevention fails or whatever, then we can move on to those plans and those preps and all these other things. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's like prevent what you can. And then if you can't, that's when you got to focus on, on your response or mitigation. Right. You actually do have a whole, um, a free family emergency preparedness plan template on your website that um, people can just go and just put in their name and email and and download it. Um, Could you give us just like a little overview of, of what people can expect of that? Sure. It's, um, I based it on the most common hazards, um, that are the most likely. So you've got things like house fire, tornado, earthquake, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So these are things that typically are a, uh, an immediate action, uh, hazard. So it's not, it's not a, a you know large scale, large scope things, but it's a specific thing that you're going to have to take immediate action to. Um, you can you put in your family information. There's a, a communications page. There's a page for uh, um, for your home outline. It's graphed, so you can draw out the outline of your home and do your fire escape plan, uh, just like you would have if you were at a, a business. You would have you know, by your exits the, the fire escape plan. Um, OSHA requires that at you know workplaces um and you can put the locations of the your assembly areas you can put your shelter location uh and your you know uh, fire extinguisher locations all of that on that on that map with your floor plan it also talks about doing uh drills and exercises and how you can use that book as a training tool so you just have a family night and you pick a topic and you say hey we're gonna um we're gonna talk about what we do in a in a fire or um, you ask your kids the question, if we had to leave our house, if it wasn't safe inside our house and we had to go outside, where could we all meet? And, and then you listen to what the ideas they have, because oftentimes the thing that comes to their mind is going to be the, the either a really obvious thing or, or the one that they would be more likely to go to if there were an actual emergency. Uh, so you talk through it and then you, you progress your, your drills as you go along. You practice specific uh, specific things like feeling the door with your hand to see if it's hot. Um, you let them know what the fire or the smoke detector 
uh, sounds like by testing it regularly. Uh, you show them how to you know, crawl or which exits they could take if you're going to have them escape through a window. That's one specific thing. And then you can do a full drill like, hey, I'm pushing the button and now everybody responds and we get see how long it takes us to get to our assembly area outside. Uh, so so using it as a tool to practice and you just build, build on each little skill. Uh, talks about doing that as well. Dang, that's cool. I love that you have questions in there and that like, like a whole family can get involved. It sounds like really simple questions that are not like going to scare people or anything like that. Um, it's just like a, that's such a basic question. Like, you know, if we can't be in our house anymore, where would we be? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Um, have you ever done like a, uh, or is this in the the um, sh the free download like uh, walking into an assessment uh, inside your house and outside your house doing any kind of things? I like that? I haven't I have I haven't put it's not in there. I've done them before, um, mm -hmm. and I used to do those for um, for buildings. I was um, just part of my job. We would go to each of the buildings um, for organization, and we'd do like a security safety assessment, check the lights, check the um, the windows make sure everything all the locks work make sure the landscaping and um, it benefits you versus uh, like gives a you know perpetrator somewhere to hide mm -hmm. um, that the areas are well lit outside that motion sensors work um, all that all that sort of thing so they're yeah it's not in there but those are um, yeah, definitely good good things to do you check your inside check of, the, of your house outside look for hazards um, clean up those hazards so if you've got um, chemicals stored in the open or flammable materials then secure those yeah nice yeah 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 exactly what you just talked about <laughs> <laughs> um uh in your like professional preparedness uh <laughs> career life is there anything that has been like a consistent like um holes that you've seen or has it been kind of all over the place or oh, yeah <laughs> no um <laughs> so well i'm gonna look at it as a as a profession there have been some holes in the way professionals do it um the, the individual is often ignored uh, so it, it, say your your county has an emergency management agency. Like they'll do a, some community outreach, give you some pamphlets and maybe some little, uh, you know, give away free tchotchkes or whatever. Um, and um, and they have your area, you can call 911 and expect that somebody is going to come to your house to help you. So it's kind of like, oh, check, we're done. We did that. But in any disaster, we know it, they know it they can't get to everybody. So mm -hmm. um, occasionally you'll have a jurisdiction with a CERT team, the Community Emergency Response Team, and um, or they'll do some more in-depth preparedness training. But it's hard for them to financially justify that or to quantify it. So most of them don't do it. And, and for me, that's just a huge oversight um, because they don't focus on on individual preparedness. And that's that's really where the bottom-up approach is you may not be able to get everybody and obviously the top-down has to be there you still have to have a good reliable emergency response system mm -hmm. uh, but empowering as many people as possible especially the people who are willing to do something uh, that that just 
creates pockets of preparedness all over the place. You don't, and as emergency manager, I don't ever take the approach that I, that I am training somebody so that they, that they'll come and help me. Um, like in response a lot of jurisdictions do that they'll say like oh we're going to train this these cert members and they'll come and they'll help support they'll augment us in in a disaster response in my mind it's like you train them and then you send them out into the wild and and if there's a disaster they can take care of themselves and their families and their neighbors and uh, and that's that's gonna be a few fewer 911 calls that you have to deal with Uh, so that's that's one gap is the individual preparedness that they're just a the way we don't communicate it, we don't communicate our the way we do things. Like I'm, ta- I'm talking here about doing drills and exercises and understanding your hazards. Like that's really basic, simple stuff that every jurisdiction and every organization does, uh, that their emergency managers do. But, uh, but they don't communicate that and give the people the tools to do that for themselves or to share the information they've done from from their own analysis. Uh, and the second big problem that I've found in the, the industry is that it, it, it's another it's a similar thing that happens with, with individuals is that people act in fear and it's true that fear is a powerful motivator um, so I mm-hmm. um, when I was in school that was my like uh, my thesis topic was individual preparedness programs and in my research I found that that is the um, the main motivator for people. If you want people to act, then then fear is what's going to get them to do it. Of course, right. you're not like I would never initiate fear. I try to make people fearful mm-hmm. to get them to act uh, because the research also shows that it's not a lasting right. motivator. Like it will get people, it will get people to to change behaviors temporarily. Some mm-hmm. people stick, um, but I'm I'm my whole mission has been trying to figure out ways to to make preparedness click or to transition people from that fear based like hey i'm worried about something into a more sustainable the needs based like oh i can actually i can make this part it's it's not a big deal to buy a few extra things at the store or to learn some skills or to watch some youtube videos that are going to teach me something like all of that is just something extra that everyone can do and it's not this all in changing my life thing but it's also not just buying a, a kit off amazon and thinking oh check i'm done uh, because right. that's a, like the false sense of security so professionals do it all the time uh, and the the leadership of the organizations we work for so n- sometimes emergency managers but often the like the policy decision makers um, so if you're working at an organization and a similar organization has an active shooter situation or uh, or the news is reporting on some some big issue that um, people can relate to and they're like, oh, we need to we need to have training on this. We need to, to do drills on this right now. Mm. And it's like, oh, okay, like we've already done. Like, I understand. I understand you're scared, but we we already know that what the likely hazards are here. Like, let's mm-hmm. focus on on the most likely things. Um, but the worst the worst is when you offer a training on a topic. Like, hey, let's let's do a training on this. We can do an exercise. And they're like, no, you know, we don't want to scare people. And then that happens somewhere else. And they're like, hey, we need this training. Why haven't we mm. done this training? Mm. <laughs> mm. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that the what you do follows you follow the money and the money follows the fears. So right. it's really tough um, to stay grounded. But that's kind of that's kind of the job of of the emergency manager or the prepper is to 
in your own circles, keep people calm and keep them focused and, and headed in the right direction, even though crazy things are happening all, all around. Right. Like, like when things start to happen, like when there's a shortage of some, some commodity, that you can't prepare during the shortage. You're respond. Right. You're responding. That's when the that's that is the incident. And if your response is to go out and buy a bunch of that commodity that there's a shortage of, then you're responding poorly. Right. Um, so you're not preparing by by buying that stuff. You're preparing is what you do before the emergency happens. Exactly. And I, I think COVID really showed a lot of. Well, a lot of things, but it did show that a lot of people started preparing and doing things out of fear. Mm-hmm. But if you're talking to those same people, you know, a couple of years later, are, are they still in preparedness? A good majority are not. They, you know, I've seen a bunch of stories and things of people that were like, nah, things are back to normal. It's totally right. cool. And oh my gosh, just that is just such a common thing uh, uh, among you know like especially hurricanes tornadoes something bad happens people freak they go to the store right and then they get all this water and all this stuff and then they're like oh well why did i buy all this water i'm fine you know and the storm has passed it'll never happen again and i'm like girl all right right it's like it's like hey i survived therefore preparedness was unnecessary it's like what what like you should be looking at this as a validation that that obviously bad things happen right and yeah, the the mindset, and we have so much just psychology working against us, honestly. Yeah. Which which is strange because you would think that people would want to, you know, self preservation would be, would be at the top of their their list. But it is the like the normalcy bias or yeah. the bystander effect. Like they want to they want to think that everything's fine, so they're not gonna they're not going to look for things that that go against it. They're gonna try to assume that things are gonna be all right. Which is which is you do want to think that things are going to be all right, but they want to, yeah. to think people generally want to think that, that it's not as bad as it is when, when things are bad. Also, if other people are not taking action, if they look around and say, well, most mm. people are not preparing, then I'm not going to either. I don't want to be the odd man out. And they don't consciously right. think that, but subconsciously that's a, that's a powerful, powerful psychological driver of doing things. If, if you've, if you feel alienated or you're, you're going to take an, uh, an action that puts you outside of, of what people consider normal. Totally. It's like a, it's like a whole tribal thing. Like, mm-hmm. you know, um, that one person, uh, in your tribe is now wearing shoes that you don't, that you no, know, nobody else has ever worn right. a show before. And now you're wearing these crazy shoes and you're like, you know, I mean, and at first, like, you know, and you do feel like the outsider and you could be even outcast, you know, but you Mm -hmm. have to, um, you, you have come, people have to, how do I want to say this? (laughs) We have lost so much individual thought, um, because of technology, I think, Mm -hmm. because of social media and, and the media, these things have really taken over our brains and they tell us what is good, what is bad. And, you know, like you were just saying, you know, it's that hive mind of, well, if all these people think this way, then I must think this way too. And yeah. so, it's, you know, we see this in politics, we see this everywhere. And it's, um, you know, it's, it's the new fashions, it's the phones, it's all these things. <clears throat> so us preppers, 
who do think outside of the box and we think, you know what, I don't want to be caught off guard and I, I would like to, you know, be able to um, care for my family, even in an emergency or disaster. We're looked on as like hoarders and all these other things. Right. There's so many negative um, you know, connotations with just doing a basic thing of making sure I have enough food. Right. And, and I think it's really interesting that when something bad does happen, they look to the preppers and say, well, how dare you not share with us? Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, now, and then they, yeah, and, and they blame preppers, like with the toilet paper. Right. There's so many articles and, and uh, posts online, people blaming preppers. And it's like, they're not buying toilet paper right now. Like they bought it when it was plentiful, when you could have bought it too. Right. Uh, so, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's a very, very interesting uh, to look at the whole psychology of everything. There's a lot of play there. And, um, you know, at, at the, in the end, I'm not trying to convince everyone. I'm just trying to be here for people who have already been convinced in some way and need help, you know, instead of looking for that overwhelm. And I think and you're definitely there as well, you know, with the plans and the, you know, trying to bring humor to it and all that, you know, it's it's catching the people that um, have made the decision and, you know, we're here to help guide them basically. It's kind of how I'm looking at it. You want to know one of the, uh, the toughest groups I found to try to convince to be prepared. Who? Uh, Emergency managers. Oh, get out of here. Seriously. Yeah. It is. It's weird. (laughs) You wouldn't, you you wouldn't expect it. You would think like, Oh, these people, these people get it. And, um, and some of them do, you know, obviously, but um, you would think that it would be like something like 90% of them would be on board with, with having all this stuff, but it's, um, I don't know what the percentage is, but it's much lower than, much lower than right. that. Uh, there was actually a study or like a white paper done a while back, and it was um, something like 60% of, of emergency managers and responders, so that includes like firefighters, police, EMS, uh, only like 60% had like a, a three-day emergency kit or something like that and Dang. Yeah, yeah and but emergency managers they they're there's this culture there too but part of that is is still to try to consider preppers as as crazy yeah. and it's like kind of like we we know what we're doing and they don't even though emergency managers are still woefully unprepared many of them think that they'll they'll just well if there's an emergency i'm just going to the emergency operations center i'll be Mm. taken care of and um so it's like okay i i kind of get what you're saying but what if you can't get there or what if you're stuck in your car or what if your family's at home and they don't have have power or food or water and um yeah so it's it isn't it is interesting talking to because i still have to be very guarded and measured in, in how i approach personal preparedness when i'm when i'm in emergency management circles a, a little bit maybe a little bit less than than in, with the general public except in the general public i can just be as cavalier as i want i can and you know i throw out those reels out there and let anyone see them and i, and I don't care uh, maybe it's maybe it's because maybe it's this uh, psychology working against me that i'm in a, a professional circle and i i don't want to be labeled as an outcast uh, but uh, yeah i gotta gotta check that um but yeah, you've I'm, got a, I, I've I've got a lot of negative feedback from people when I talk about preparedness from people who are in my same profession. 
I am agape right now. Like I can't, I can't believe it. I, I thought that that would be like your safest space. Like <laughs> that's your safe space, your profession, because you are an emergency manager. Right. You can talk freely about this. Now I'm like so I, sad. Like I think part of it is that they just they were so we're so used to looking at the extremes of things like we we mm. we don't look at normal life we look at disaster life we're always mm. we're always looking at the gray sky gray sky thing so when they look at a group like the preppers it's like they they kind of do a risk assessment of that group and they're like well there are the extreme elements within that who um are are hyper focused on on the guns or who are have antisocial tendencies or whatever it is, and then they uh, attribute their negative bias towards those those people. Um, they apply that to the entire the entire group. So give you know, those attributes to to all of us, and but then you're like, well, what's wrong with guns? They all look at you like, what? Yeah, <laughs> they really do. That's another topic that. <laughs> Yeah, you can't bring up at work, but um. that's that's fascinating. I'm I'm like I'm still reeling from this the just development here. Um, though I I guess I shouldn't be surprised. I I did go through Sir, and I I've actually tried to engage with like our local emergency um, management. To, society and society <laughs> our local management uh team and all this we, we're more of a brotherhood oh, okay. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that's right <laughs> no sisters allowed got it okay yep, yep. that's why that's <laughs> why i've been rejected now i get it yeah it's and very patriarchy. much a patriarchy <laughs> what is it? yeah it's so very much a patriarchy <laughs> yeah <laughs> no it, it actually um is becoming less and less so as, as it becomes less I, I kind of cut off your thought here, but um, okay. it is becoming, uh, it, it was a profession dominated mostly by um, end of career um, firefighters or police oh. who transition from a full-time response role and they get up into captaincy or chiefs or something and they transition over to be an emergency management role. And that's, mm. that's kind of the traditional path that, but now it's becoming more of an academic field where experience is still valued, uh, but also, hey, these, this is actually a profession in, its, in and of itself, not just the next step after you, after you do response that you go behind the scenes and do emergency management. Um, you know, they, they're valuable people from, from all walks of life, and if you have a blend of each, but, but having that path um, means that there are more, you know, more females who are in the field now than ever. And and emergency management has um, has spread not just to uh, like counties and cities, usually attached to the the fire department or like sheriff department or police or something like that. So it's usually in like public safety or or fire and response. But now, like your health your health departments after um, you know the anthrax attacks and all that, like post nine eleven. Um, stuff so the health departments started doing like bioterrorism preparedness mm. uh, and health departments are predominantly f- female and mm-hmm. um, more nursing staff and and all of that so uh, that that the, then they're also um you know corporate emergency managers or business continuity professional professionals consultants 
um, hospital emergency managers, uh, higher education colleges have emergency managers. Mm. Uh, like they're everywhere now. So it's not, it's not like we're um, everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so now it is becoming a more, more open field to anyone who chooses to be a part of it. And you don't have to have gone through, you know, 25 years of being a firefighter, which, mm-hmm. which eliminates you know, some of it. So and not that that was a, uh, a necessary requirement before it's just, happened to be how how a lot of it right came about so the, it definitely is less of a brotherhood now um, <laughs> yeah not so much the good old boys but um yeah we definitely have more you know diversity and whatever else so it's uh, o- overall for the industry is has uh, changed it um, culturally but also given a lot of uh, perspectives that that do make it more effective uh, and and it's becoming more of an analytical versus a hands-on profession as well so it's yeah Uh, that's great that that's really cool to hear actually um that it's really developed um over time um i i guess um as we're closing to the hour here i want to ask you one last question was this what you wanted to be when you grew up (laughs) uh no i probably wanted to be like a spy or something yeah, I um, I actually didn't even know emergency management was a profession until I was uh, all like mostly most of the way through my undergrad and <laughs> like through college. And I, I, I think I had the thought like um, that, yeah, I'd switched majors so many times. I, I had the thought like, man, wouldn't it just be cool to be able to do like wilderness survival or some like like Boy Scout type stuff professionally? And so I was looking up stuff like that and I see like rec management, like recreation management. And I was like, oh, that's cool because they're going kayaking and rock climbing and um, camping, doing all this, this backcountry stuff. And they're, they're making like $30,000 a year or something. I'm like, mm, yeah, maybe not. Um, so I kept exploring and I... Um, you found emergency management and I was like, yeah, that's, that sounds all right. It, it's mostly a desk job, but it is still pretty interesting. I had already been, a, uh, like I said, a medic in the uh, army and the national guard. Um, I deployed. Um, so I was doing some response type stuff and I was interested in that, but I thought, you know, this is, this is interesting. I'm already, I was into preparedness by the, by that time. I was like, maybe I could do something with this. And so I, finished my undergrad as quickly as I could. I'd like change my major to like a general studies or university studies degree. So I could, which is uh, not a specific degree. It's a multi, it's just like a multidisciplinary view. You take so many um, upper level classes and you have uh, a couple minors that are specific to something I did like uh, health science and emergency care and um, your language. Um, just based on classes I had taken previously, I could kind of bunch them all together, graduate as quickly as I could, and then went out and started working in emergency management and applied to grad school. I got a master's in emergency and disaster management and then continued on that path. So it's not what I wanted to do, but um, yeah, I'm not sure it's what I want to do now either. It is a desk job. It's, uh, it's the most boring, cool job there is, but um but when we have the training and exercises, those are, I, I love doing that stuff. Uh, when there's a response, yeah, yeah, when there's a response and you're, you're, you help people connect all of the dots, like that's, that's pretty cool too. It's, it's the same thing you do at home when there's an emergency, the power goes out and you're getting situational awareness on, from the power company 
you're making sure that you've got a, if you've got a generator, you get those resources there that you can cook your food, that you've got water, that your kids are taken care of. Uh, it's the same, same thing, just connecting all these dots, make sure the right resources are getting to the right people and that they have the right information they need uh, just on a, on a larger scale. So it's been pretty good, um, but I am definitely trying to gear everything towards more individual-based stuff, and that's why I'm, I've been going a little bit harder on the uh, the preparedness guy side of things, uh, because that's that's really where I think the the future of this whole thing is. I think that um, emergency management is a bureaucratic industry, which of course it is because it's t- tied to government regulations and um, institutions um and and that can be beneficial especially for an organization who has um, they've got specific requirements because then the emergency manager knows exactly what they've got to do for them uh, and then can do uh, go above and beyond but um but they're still missing the mark with with individual preparedness and and as as we go down this path of of more uncertainty and um social civil unrest supply chain issues all of that that we can't do top-down policy-driven solutions it's not going to work we've got populations who can't even feed themselves today and how are they how are they going to um you know take care of get a, a three-day worth of supply of, of emergency supplies or two weeks so we've got to figure out more individual and community-based solutions um people yeah. working together and and being, being a community, being neighborly, and that can't come from the top because anything that comes from the top and is, if it's a forced program, it's at the point of a gun and it's not going <laughs> to. You will build this garden. You will right. like it. Yes. Have you, have you done your, your community garden weeding hour for the, for the day? <laughs> and then, and then anything you do like that, it's going to be. Like if it if it's a top down solution, most of your money is going to go to administrative costs or mm. like all that stuff anyway. So it's right. yeah, yeah, it's a tough it's a tough balance. So I yeah. hear you, and and I've been thinking of the same thing. Like how how can we get more people involved in these little things, like you know, building that community garden in that empty lot or whatever, which is also bureaucratic because then you need blah, blah, blah. But yeah, I like your, I liked your stories the other day. You're like, just do it. Like who cares if your HOA or your city laws (laughs) don't do it. It's like, like they can always, they can, sure they can come tell you to stop, but don't let that, yeah, don't let that prevent you from trying. Well, I, you know what? I actually had a lot of people responding to me being like, um, I live in an HOA and I talked to my neighbor and I said, Hey, is it cool if I get chickens? Would you be mad? And they were like, Nope. Like, as long as you share some eggs with me, yeah. that's it. That's the community we need yeah. right there. Yeah, we, right? we need, we need people to shut their mouths and, <laughs> and work together. <laughs> that's a slogan right now. Yeah. Yeah. T-shirt. Shut your mouth and work together. Yeah, please. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, voluntarily. Yeah. Um. All right. I'm here on free will, but just do it. But that's definitely what I would like. Um. Yeah, I, I, I think there, there's a gap. You know, there, there's um, how, how do you get people to 
to uh, come into this understanding that yes, uh, you know, this is a good idea on an individual that I don't need to rely on the police that I don't need to, well, not that I don't need to rely on them, but, but, you know, I can do some things on my own. Right. There are, yes. there are a resource oh, there for the things that you can't do yourself and right. be as empowered as possible. Like be as self-reliant as possible. And being self-reliant does not mean that you just cut yourself off from the system or from right neighbors or friends or community or any of that stuff. Right, right. It's, it's finding the things where you have um, abdicated responsibility and yep. get, it's, and it's okay to delegate responsibility, but you do, don't ever abdicate your responsibility where you, you give it up and right. you, you lose that power. Like always maintain it. Like this is your power over your life and your needs and find those things where you've, you've given it up and take control of that again. And then it's okay if you need to, get somebody to do something like I don't fix my car all the time you know like right. I can do some of the very basic things but right. um, you know I, 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 I do what I can and I try to learn more um, but at some point I'm like hey you know what I'm, I'm going to go to the, the mechanic that I trust and, and work with sure. regularly so yeah um, and that and that is part of our community and that that's perfectly acceptable you know like we don't have to do everything ourselves like you're saying you know there's I mean that's it's improbable to think like that. Right. I mean, learn as much as you can and do what you can, but, but you're really going to, and it comes to a point like, uh, you're, you're using up more time than, than it's worth at some point. Right. But, you know, my, my husband is really good at like electrical work. He set up our whole solar system. Oh man, he's the man, you know, and if you were to ask me to do that, I would say, well, it's, I think we're going to invest in more candles um, and we're not going to be using <laughs> any electricity. Uh, so, you know, it's just not my strong suit. I'm not, that's not me. You know, I look at his grids and his graphs and I'm like, neat picture. <laughs> like, <laughs> this yeah. is very pretty. <laughs> I don't know what I'm looking at. Well, and yeah. So, yeah. And I go like finding people like I don't always take my car to the mechanic, but I'll get my my father-in-law and we'll work on something together. Like because he's he knows way more than me, so it's like um, finding ways that I can you know, meet in the middle. Right. Um, but talking about electricity, I've got a uh, got a joke for you. What did um, what did socialists use before candles? Oh no, I don't know. <laughs> Light bulbs. Oh my god. <laughs> oh no! Yeah. Oh. Bring a little bit of politics into into this. Oh. I think I think we already have. Though. I wish I had one of those ooh buttons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was good. I like. Yeah, that. yeah. Sorry to all you. Sorry to all you socialists out there that listen to this uh, <laughs> podcast. Yeah, so uh, listen to the preparedness podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Government is not your answer. And that's the only way to get your system. So. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Um, well, <laughs> thank you so much for being on. This was a blast, and I'd love to have you on again in the future. But I would love to have everybody go check out your stuff. So promote everything. Okay. Um, so I'm on Instagram, the preparedness guy. Um, my website is preparednessguy.com and that's where you can get the free emergency plan. Um, you can find me other places like YouTube and Facebook, but I'm mostly active on Instagram. Um, and I also have a podcast called preparedness works and you can find that on all the podcast places. I have a confession. I haven't listened yet, but I haven't listened to any podcast, so don't yell at me. That's right. There's, 
it's there's only new. there's yeah it's fairly new i've got like eh, like seven or eight episodes or something um there's one podcast i listen to religiously and re- you decide what religiously means that could be once a week or only on christmas and easter uh, but <laughs> it's the uh, the casual preppers podcast i listen to them all the time so. uh yeah yeah they're pretty consistent you know yeah like, <laughs> they've built up a good following yeah and then i'll, I'll dabble in everybody else's but um right. it's hard to keep up with every single podcast of, that everybody has but it is, and and I appreciate that you've uh, taken some time away from your um, ten kids to be here. <laughs> and um, no, but seriously, congratulations thank on you. on that. I hope all that goes well. And um, thank you so much for all of your insight and lovely conversation. And I hope that everyone goes and checks out the preparedness guy. Good stuff. Lots of humor. Lots of practical advice. Highly recommend everything that. Uh, that he has going on. So thank you so much for being here. And thank you everyone so much for listening. Conquer tomorrow by preparing today. I'll talk to you later. Bye.